Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Those who are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. We're going to be in John chapter 16. Uh, I want to start with verse 16, uh, read through 24, uh, and then I'm going to read uh, verse 33. And then after I'm done, I'm going to say, uh, this is the word of God for the people of God in which you can respond, thanks be to God. Uh, So let's read this together. Uh, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, uh, you will see me. Uh, At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, uh, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. And so they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while, for we don't understand what he is saying. Uh, And many of you are probably saying, amen, what in the world does this mean? Uh, Well, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? For very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So it is with you, Jesus says. For now is your time of grief, but you will see again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. For in that day you will no longer ask me anything. For very very truly I tell you, my Father will give whatever you ask of in my name. Until you have, you have not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And then let's skip down to verse 33, which says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen, amen. When Amy and I got married, uh, almost 16 years ago, uh, we were just like every other young couple, Uh, We had all of life's big milestones uh, mapped clearly out on a timeline of our life. Uh, We were going to spend the precious first five years of marriage with just us, no kids. Uh, And then after that, we would start a family, have uh, children that were exactly two years apart. We would buy a house and we would live happily ever after. Uh, but as any of you have, that have lived a little bit of life know that as soon as you begin to make plans, those plans often come crashing to the ground. Uh, so while our life has been so blessed, uh, the reality is, is that things didn't go exactly like that. Because when it was time to start having kids, we found that it always doesn't happen just like you had planned. Uh, The first few months of of trying were okay. Uh, It's kind of fun to try to have a baby. I said that to make all of you uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) But but, but the first few months uh, turned into six months, and then into nine months, and then a year, and then two years, and then more than two years. And for those of you that have been there, and, and walked the road of, of infertility and, and what all of that means. And if you've been there or if you are there and walking that road, you know just how discouraging and maddening it can be uh, to live life with sort of lifted expectation every month 
only to be disappointed. Uh, and that's not even to mention the, the doctor's appointments and tests, et cetera, et cetera. The, the reality is it's a, very, it's a very difficult road to walk. So after a lot of prayer, disappointment, tears, uh, even giving up, we found out finally in January of 2008 that Amy was pregnant, and we were overjoyed. Um, as we prepared for Jaden's birth, and, and we knew uh, that we were going to name our baby Jaden, whether she was a boy or a girl, uh, that was my thing. I wanted to be surprised. Um, I didn't want to find out. Uh, Amy's a planner. She wanted to find out. So on number two, we found out. Uh, but uh, I wanted to be surprised on the day of the birth, but we had, we had, we had agreed ahead of time that boy or girl, the baby's name would be Jaden, because uh, Jaden means God has heard. And, and so for us, it wasn't just a trendy name. We found out later that it was the number three most popular boy name in 2008. Uh, sorry, Jaden, about that. <laughs> uh, but for us, it wasn't just a, a trendy name. It was, it was a, a statement of, of what God had done in our life, that God had heard. And so as we prepared for Jaden's birth, we wanted to have a, a home birth with a midwife. Um, and everything was going really well with the pregnancy until two weeks before the due date. Right at the end of the pregnancy, Amy's blood pressure started go, going up pretty rapidly and very high. And the midwife uh, told us that we needed to go uh, to be induced at the hospital. So we, we go to the hospital, we, we get Amy on an IV of Pitocin to jumpstart the labor, and, and, and we just get ready for this whole thing to get rolling. And, and I have to tell you this morning that I had been to hours and hours and hours of birthing class, but I was not prepared for what was about to transpire. Like, there is nothing that can prepare you for this event in your life. Uh, and what you need to know is that Pitocin actually makes the contractions more intense uh, than they would be otherwise. Uh, but since Amy is a warrior, uh, she was laboring with Pitocin, but without any pain medication, uh, which is just a way of saying this morning, like, don't mess with her. Uh, just like whatever you think you might be doing to mess with her, just don't do it. Uh, but once the labor got started, each contraction was like watching my wife get hurled off of a cliff. Um, so, so watching the person that you love in a ton of pain just messes with you, right? Uh, it just absolutely messes with you. Now, obviously, I'm telling this story from my perspective because listen to what I just said. Oh, it was so hard watching Amy in labor, <laughs> right? Like all the women in the room are like, this is so from a man's perspective, right? Uh, so, but that's the truth. Uh, it is from a man's perspective. And it was so hard to watch Amy go through labor in all of that pain. But uh, Throughout the labor, Amy's body temperature was like just all over the place. And so uh, a contraction, during a contraction, she was just blazing hot. And so she would say, turn the fan on, get rid of these blankets. It's so hot in here. And then, and then after the contraction, she was freezing and she would look at me and she'd say, why is that fan on? <laughs> and I, I was so tempted to say, because 30 seconds ago, you told me to turn it on, but I used my better judgment and I just said, I don't know. I don't know why the fan is on. And so I would turn it off. And, and this went on uh, for hours, like Turn the fan on, turn the fan off, blankets on, blankets off, just all like, just cannot regulate body temperature. Uh, it was absolutely crazy. Uh, but as, as all of you know, as, as labor goes on, it's really important to stay hydrated. 
and, and so at, at one point, uh, we gave her uh, a few sips of grape recharge. If you're not familiar with what recharge is, it's like the hippie version of Gatorade. Uh, and, and so we gave her the, this, uh, grape ver- this grape recharge, and, and two contractions later, uh, I, I'm sitting there right by the bed uh, because, you know, blankets on, blankets off, fan on, fan off. I'm trying to do, like, I'm trying to balance all of this. And it's just really hard, you know? Uh, and so I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm just doing all this work. Uh, and, and, and she's there doing her thing, and, and, and we give her the recharge, and like two contractions later, I'm right there beside the bed, and she, she, she looks at me, and she goes, I think I'm going to throw up. And, and then I did uh, what any of you would have done, what any loving husband watching his wife go through labor would have done. I quickly looked around to see what was available, and I found a towel. I grabbed the towel, and then I cupped my hands, and caught the vomit. <laughs> and, I, and then, so then, it's like, mm. so now, I'm, I'm like beside the bed with, with a, <laughs> like, vomit in my hands that are in a towel, and it's like, what do you do now, right? And it's just like one of those moments where you're so connected and present to what's happening that you lose your mind. And, and I'll never forget I'll never forget, as I was like just standing there, <laughs> like, what do I do now? I'll never forget the midwife looked at me and said, you don't have to do that. <laughs> and then she says something that was so hilarious. She goes, that's what the nurses are for. <laughs> so anyway, those of you that are nurses are like, yeah, that sounds like a midwife. But um, so all of this happened, and, and then... <sighs> After hours and hours of, of work and pain and nausea, Jaden was born. Here's a, here's a picture uh, of us moments after Jaden was born. Just moments. I'm kissing her to celebrate all of her hard work. But also that this new life, this child that we had prayed and prayed and prayed for had finally come into the world. You see, what I, what I love about this picture uh, is that it, it captures the emotion of hope fulfilled. It had been a long journey for us to get there. There was so much anticipation, so much longing, so much pain, so much heartache, so much disappointment, so many desperate prayers that were finally relieved in this moment of the birth of our child that that both of us were overcome with emotion. It was emotion that was raw and it was real. And so from a composition standpoint, there's all kinds of, of, from a professional photographer standpoint, there's all sorts of things that could be improved about this picture, but, but, the cap, but the picture nonetheless captures the journey for us to the birth of our first child. In our passage this morning, Jesus employs the image and experience of birth to explain to his disciples what is about to happen to them. But he also uses this imagery, I think, in order to demonstrate to us and to teach us a much larger lesson. 
You see, Jesus knows in John chapter 16 that he is about to be crucified. In fact, one of the things that distinguishes uh, the gospel of John from the other gospels is that in the gospel of John, Jesus from the very beginning, confidently and resolutely marches toward the cross. He, there's never any question of where his life is headed in the Gospel of John. And so here in chapter 16, even though there's quite a bit of the gospel left, we already know Jesus is already preparing his disciples that he is about to be crucified and that the world of the disciples is going to feel like it is totally falling apart. In fact, there's this, this language that captures most of our passage this morning that's really odd. It's, it's, in a little while, I will be with you no more, but then in a little while, you will be with me. And, and the disciples are asking a very genuine question that we would also ask, like, what does that mean? Like, what, which is it? Are you with us or are you not? Um, but... The, the reality is what Jesus is, is pointing them to is that, is that the person that they have come to love and to count on and depend on and understand to be the long-awaited Messiah, this person is going to die. And as we, Jesus is trying to prepare them, and, and, and have you ever had something that you realized you were never prepared to hear? Right, like maybe, some, maybe somebody said something to you and you didn't get it at the time. Only years later you said, you know, they've always said that to me, but I would never have the ears to hear. Um, that's where the disciples are at. They're in this place where Jesus is trying to prepare them for what's about to take place, but they just don't have the ears to hear yet. But he's, about, he's trying to warn them, your world is about to be turned upside down and it is going to feel like everything has gone amuck and the whole thing the whole thing is just falling apart but attached in this little saying that in a little while i will be with you no more is is this little glimmer of hope that says but a while after that i will be with you it's this way of saying that that through the unfathomable events of a Messiah being killed, there is hope that he will then be raised back to life and, and that a new world is coming about. And so, of course, in the immediate context for the disciples, what Jesus is doing is he's pointing to his own death and his own resurrection as the sorrow that they must face, but then the joy, but then that, how that sorrow and grief will be turned to joy. He's saying that there is a reality of death and resurrection in our life. There is sorrow and grief, and then there is joy. There is sorrow, there is joy. There is sorrow, there is joy. And so, of course, Jesus, in their immediate context, is really just, I believe, trying to tell the disciples, this is what's going to happen. But they didn't have ears to hear. But I believe this morning that if, if you and I, the, the people of God this morning, if we will have ears to hear, we will recognize that as Jesus is saying this, there's something actually much deeper, much more foundational that's going on. There's a larger lesson for us to learn than just, oh yeah, Jesus died and was resurrected and, and so to, like learn those facts. There's a deeper reality. And so I would submit to you that on a much larger scale, Jesus was actually showing us that through his death and resurrection, a new world was being birthed right out of the old one. 
that what for the immediate, what for the disciples was a very immediate context, Jesus is about to die, but, but praise be to God, he will be raised back to life and our sorrow will be turned into joy. We can take that and, and apply it on a more cosmic scale to then say that, that what God is doing in the world, well, the birth metaphor is, is a perfect picture of that. Because God is, is, is bringing about a brand new world right in the midst of this old one. He is teaching us that for those of us who trust in him, temporary sorrow gives way to everlasting joy. And that, Jesus says, is a lot like birth. Birth involves a lot of pain. Amy often laughs when asked to rate her pain. Uh, you know how they, like, they say rate your pain on one to 10 or like from, from smiley face to grimace? Like the whole world is being run by emojis now. So it's not one to 10 now, it's like smiley to grimace. But you're supposed to rate your pain, right? Uh, Amy always laughs at those like rate your pain things because she says, you know what? After giving birth, everything is a one. It just, it doesn't matter. Like when compared to birth, th- this is a one. So do I take, so when they, when they ask her, she's like, do I take birth into consideration or, or do I not to rate this pain, right? Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, birth involves a lot of pain, but birth and the joy of new life actually renders that pain mute and silent. There's this funny thing that that happens right after the birth of a baby. All kinds of endorphins are released in the mom's brain, essentially erasing any memory of the pain that she just went through. Um, I have circumstantial evidence to prove this. Uh, If it weren't true, all of us would be only children, (laughs) right? All of us would be the only child if this weren't true. No one would have a second baby, (laughs) But moments after the birth, a mom can be totally content, even though there may be many days or even weeks of recovery for her body. It's an incredible thing. And here's what I want to submit to you is important for us today. That as Christians, as the people of God, we are to live in light of this truth. God's new world is being birthed right out of this old one. We took time in our time of worship through music this morning to say out loud and confess that there are times when it feels like our world is utterly gripped by darkness, death, sin, violence, and hatred. But we must embrace that reality and hold it together with the truth and the reality that that God is bringing about a new world right in the midst of this one. That's our task. That's what we are to do as Christians, is to live faithfully as a people of God, recognizing that even though it seems like the world is completely lost, that we maintain and hold on to hope. I have two suggestions for us today on how to live this out and how to live in light of this reality. The first is this. In order to live 
in light of the reality that God's new world is being birthed right in the middle of this old one, we must faithfully engage moments of pain and sorrow. We must faithfully engage moments of pain and sorrow. Sometimes the Christian life is cast uh, in a light as, as uh, place your faith in Jesus and your life will be without trouble or pain. <laughs> as your pastor, can I say to you that this simply isn't true? And, and if, we, if we proclaim a gospel in which it becomes true, oh, Jesus is just sort of like, like, like the the coating over your life to, to insulate you from trouble, then, then we don't have any theology of what to do when, when our life faces trouble, right? And certainly God has a protection over us and I don't want to, to diminish that, but I also don't want to say that it's just sort of this equal thing that place your faith in Jesus and then your life is without trouble or heartache or pain because we can look around the evidence of all of humanity and say that simply is not true and it can't be the case. In fact, the, the opposite, I would say, is true. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he follows that up with, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. Be encouraged. You will face trouble, but, but don't be afraid, because I have overcome the world. In verse 33, when Jesus says, you will have trouble, it's a word that could also be translated distress, calamity, or anguish. Uh, it, it carries with it this, this basic meaning. It's, it's an unfavorable circumstance with an emphasis on emotional pain or distress. Right? Because how many of us know that when we go through a difficulty in, where it may involve physical pain, but there's emotional pain as well? And how many, of us, how many of us know that how deeply it may be true that our physical body bears no scars, but our emotional body bears all kinds of scars, like we are wounded inside. And so the, the word trouble here is unfavorable circumstance with an emphasis on emotional pain. And Jesus says, you will face trouble. And I think... If we were to take a poll this morning, I think all of us would say, yeah, that's me. I have faced trouble in this life. But Jesus encourages us, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I have overcome the world is, is not a way of, of saying that in the end, Jesus is going to kill, just kill all the bad guys. But, but rather, it's a, it's a way of saying, I have, when Jesus says, I have overcome the world, it's a way of saying that he sits right now as Lord and King over all that is, and he is at work to bring about gardens out of battlefields. He is a, going about the business of, of bringing mercy and forgiveness and goodness out of dar and light out of darkness, that God has overcome this world, that he, the victory is won. He is now working out that victory in the world, and he's calling us to participate in that. He's calling us to benefit from that. He's calling us to live that out, but there's an important piece of all of this, that if we are going to live in the reality that God's new world is being birthed out of the old one, then friends, what we need to do is we need to faithfully engage the darkness and sorrow and pain when we face it. There is a version of Christianity that says that healing is equal to ignoring the pain, and that is not true, and that is not healing. It is not just about ignoring it, it is about 
faithfully facing it with new hope and perspective of God's work in our life and in the world. Amen? You see, the thing about childbirth is that you have to go through labor or surgery to get the baby. You have to do it. There's no other way around it. There's no other way around bringing new life into the world except through surgery, which will bear a mark on your body, or labor, which is work. Jesus, in, in seeking to bring about and establish a brand new world where, for, where love and forgiveness rules the day, marches resolutely where? Around the cross, no. But rather, through the cross, into resurrection. That the only way to bring about and birth this new world and to refound the world on an axis of love and forgiveness rather than hate and violence, the only way to do that was for Jesus to take on all the sin and violence and hatred and, and, and rejection of all the world upon himself and then respond not with vengeance, not with revenge, not with hate toward the people that had done it to him, but respond with, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And in so doing, he refounded the world on love and forgiveness. And we are invited to live in light of that truth. And so the only way to bring about the new life is to go through the birthing process. And I would submit to you, I've never had a firsthand experience of this, but I think that one of the things that keeps laboring moms going is the hope of new life on the other side. Our midwife used to say to us, you won't always be pregnant. To which we said, yes, we will. This is never gonna end. And she said, no, you won't. You won't always be pregnant. She needed to say that because it felt like Amy felt like she was always gonna be pregnant. She needed to hear it because she couldn't sleep. I needed to hear it because I was gaining weight from all the food cravings, <laughs> right? It's just like, you don't wanna eat those chocolate-covered potato chips alone. I'm sure you don't want to do that. I will be a partner with you and let's eat this whole bag together. We can do it, right? So we, but we needed to hear the good news. You won't be pregnant forever. <laughs> and what a prophetic voice that is. I wonder if we could take that, that word of hope. You won't be pregnant forever. This isn't gonna last forever. I, I wonder if we could take that same word of hope and apply it to our world. This won't be true forever. We won't always live in a world like this. This won't always be the case. I think we need to hear that. And this is why as Christians we are invited to offer prophetic hope to the world in the midst of pain. That as we gather together, we mourn, we lament, we enter the darkness and sorrow, but we enter it with perspective and hope that God's new world is in fact coming. Particularly in light of the tragic news of another mass shooting in Las Vegas last Sunday night, the temptation is to, believe, is, is to believe that our emotions should move as quickly as the news cycle. Can I tell you today, no. Our emotions should not and are not obligated to run on the same cycle as the news. But what tends to happen in our world that moves so fast is we tend to all get caught up and in the first 24 hours, the first 36 hours, all of us have all this emotion coming out, coming out, and then a week later, it's like, well, we're kind of, we, we ought to be over it. 
And if we do that too long, then what happens is we become numb to the next one. And so what God encourages us to do, that part of living faithfully in light of new creation is to actually enter into darkness and sorrow and pain, but live there faithfully with hope and perspective. Amen? I was reading an article today that says what I think is such an important voice that as quickly as the news will move on, those who were directly affected, it will be years and years and years of emotional healing and for many physical healing as well to deal with the trauma of what they've gone through. And I just believe that as the people of God, we are called to faithfully engage with moments of pain and darkness but to approach it with new hope and perspective of God's new world. The second thing that I believe that God is maybe encouraging us or calling us to do and to live in light of God's new creation that's coming is, is to act in ways that promote and embody the world for which we hope. To act in ways that promote and embody the world for which we hope. That is to make hope tangible to embody it in, meaning, in meaningful ways. Uh, because I would say this, hope becomes prophetic when it is embodied to others. Hope becomes prophetic when it is embodied to others. That is to say that there is a such thing as kind of just a static hope that says, I hope for this. And that may sound like a lot of well-wishing. I just wish well. Uh, but, but rather there is this embodiment of hope that then becomes prophetic that says, look, this is what God's new world looks like. And then you live that out and you embody it. And then, then the hope becomes prophetic. In the aftermath of the, of the shooting, a lot uh, of what I was seeing in social media was thoughts and prayers just aren't enough anymore. And the world needs something more prophetic than will will give you a longer news cycle or moments of silence for victims and their families. And we should pray and we should think and we should honor people through moments of silence. But there comes a point where we realize that those things don't offer anything tangible. And what the world, what our country is crying out for now is something tangible, right? Like thoughts and prayers were good enough for a while. But now, what is something tangible that we can do? In other words, hope needs handles. Hope needs handles so people can grab onto it. Friends, the church, the body of Christ, I believe is in no better position than to give hope handles in our world. It is the people of God who proclaim and confess belief in, in the reality of a new world that is coming about. It is this people, us, that are in the best position to give hope handles in the world and provide a prophetic hope to those who are looking and searching for it. 
And of course, this can come in any variety of ways. But today, or this week, I heard about some people living this out in what I consider to be one of the most beautiful and prophetic ways. I heard about an organization called Raw Tools that invites people from all over the country to turn in weapons, firearms, to this company of blacksmiths that will then take that weapon, melt it down, and fashion a garden tool. And friends, I want you to know that I'm not making any statements today about policy, about the role or place of law enforcement. I'm not making any statements about that, but rather I'm tuning us into the prophetic work of an organization that is an embodiment of Isaiah's vision. Because the Old Testament prophet Isaiah envisioned a day that he wrote about in Isaiah chapter two that says, and then they will turn their swords into plowshares and their weapons into pruning hooks. And nation will not rise up against nation and they will train for war no more. You see, Isaiah had a vision of a day where violence would cease. And it was, it was a vision of God's new world, of what this is what God is, is doing in the world, and this is what he is bringing about, and this is what is, is being birthed right out of all the violence and the ugliness and the hate. What is being birthed is a world in which the swords and the weapons will be turned into plowshares. And I learned of a company physically, actually doing that. And I think it's beautiful. A modern day embodiment of the prophet Isaiah's vision. Raw tools, and I want you to notice that raw, R-A-W, is the word war backwards. It's a reversal it's a redemption of, it's a restoring of. And so raw tools is taking weapons that take life and are turning them into tools that cultivate the ground, produce a harvest, and then bring life. In other words, guns in our world are literally being turned into garden tools, anticipating the day when battlefields will be transformed into gardens. And I, church, can we hope for a day when the sites of mass shootings are turned into sanctuaries? Can we together hope for that day? And, and who, we're not making any statements about policy. We're not making any statements about wh where we're at now, but rather we are just together as a people of God, hoping for this world, moving towards it, anticipating it, where violence will cease to exist. And these sites where people are senselessly murdered and lives are ended, where those very sites are turned into sanctuaries. Because listen, Charleston, Sandy Hook, Aurora, Las Vegas, these things used to indicate geographic locations. But in our broken world, they don't anymore. They indicate all kinds of other things things and thoughts and emotions, but we can hope for the day when those words and those places will be turned into sanctuaries and our battlefields turned into gardens. Amen? A little bit more about raw tools. 
and I believe it's just prophetic work, is that they track the narrative of the gun to a new narrative of harvest. So they take the old narrative of the violence that had been carried out or could have been carried out with this weapon, and then they turn it into a new narrative, a redemptive narrative of harvest and gardens. And we're not, we're not talking about hunting for sport. We're talking about gun violence. And so as you hear stories, you'll hear stories of, of a young man who was very depressed and feeling down and, and felt like maybe it was the right thing to end his life. And so as he would go to homes of his friends and, and other family members, he would look for guns that weren't properly locked up. And he would take them, steal these guns out of, out of homes. And one day, pretty soon, he had a collection of guns and, and in a moment of particular darkness, he decided that he was gonna play Russian roulette. And he didn't make it through that exercise or that game or that activity. That it, one of the guns had a bullet in the chamber and he died. Those guns, that collection of guns from this young man were churned into raw tools and raw tools took the iron and refashioned it into a garden tool. This is beautiful prophetic work, church. Coming out of this week, I, once I found out who this company was, I, I reached out to them, I contacted them, and I said, we're a small faith community, and we don't have a lot of financial resource. And every time we hear a news cycle of this happening, we take time to mourn and lament and pray for the victims, pray for the perpetrators of violence. But this time I feel like we need to do something more tangible. And I heard of, I've heard about your work. And I wondered if you would come to Emmaus Road and do an event where we together as a community might participate in at least just taking one and turning it into a garden tool. And I got a message right back that said, we would love to come to your church and do that. And furthermore, thank you, this gentleman said. He said, thank you for this email on such a horrible day. He said, on days like this, it feels like no one is listening. I don't know where you stand politically. I don't even know how this comes across or affects you. But church can be about a lot of things. And if you make it about a whole lot of other things, it becomes really difficult to manage. And I've just kind of decided in my heart that I just want to lead a community of people who are doing the work of the kingdom in the world. And, and, and we're doing that. Faith, family, hospitality playing games with our elderly neighbors at the senior center. These are all embodiments of the kingdom. But, per, but perhaps there may be some of you that would be called to participate with us when we have this event. And, and, and I said, could we do it next week? Could we do, could we do it today? Like, like, when can we do it? And, and he said, I'm, I'm booked until 2018. And I said, praise God. 
Praise the Lord that you are that busy doing the work that you're doing. And so we'll give you more details, but here's what I want to say. The, the invitation for us in light of uh, this, this birth metaphor that Jesus gives us, the invitation is for us to explore what are the small ways in which we can embody the hope of the gospel in the world. Because hope needs handles. And so what are the ways that we can embody this hope? And if this, what I've talked about this morning, doesn't resonate with you, I would simply ask you the question, what does? What does resonate with you? What is it that captures your imagination of this is what God's world looks like and now we need to embody that and help to, to bring that about and proclaim it? What will be true in God's new world that we can live out and embody right here and right now? And so our word of hope this morning is that God is bringing about a new world right in the midst of this old one. And our prayer is God heal our world. Amen? Amen. Let's say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to the table today. Typically after our time at the table, we would have a time of prayer that we call prayers of the people. Uh, we're not gonna take time to do that today. I have preached too long. But I do want to say a word of prayer, um, just asking God's comfort and peace on those affected. And then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, for your grace poured out. And thank you for this, this word picture, this metaphor of, of birth, a new world that is being born right here, right now. God, sometimes we, we don't see it. But today, God, in faith, would you give us new perspective? Would you sanctify our imaginations? And God, would you give us clear evidence of this new world that is being brought about? God, we thank you for it. We give you praise for your good work. And God, we, we don't feel capable of participating in this work, but we do feel called. And so, Lord, would you help us to embody your kingdom in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our little corner of the world, wherever we can, however we can. God, may we be a, peop be, be a people who are focused on your kingdom and the work of Christ. And God, today we take a few moments to remember the victims of the Las Vegas shooting. We pray, God, that for those who were injured, we pray for physical healing. Many will certainly bear the marks on their body for their lifetime. So God, we pray for, for physical healing, but we also recognize for scores and scores of other people, there will be emotional healing that needs to take place. So God, we pray for them. We pray that your comfort and peace would be real in their life. We pray for those who are coming alongside of them with systems of support and counseling. God, those, those folks are doing tremendously important work in the world. Lift them up, encourage them, strengthen them, we pray. And God, for the friends and family of, of the shooter, the one has, who has carried out this violence, they certainly today are, are facing tremendous pain. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you. And we pray, God, that 
that some way, somehow, there would be folks who would live out and find a way toward healing and forgiveness and grace. Uh, for the grace and the forgiveness that you call us to is radical. But God, we want to live that out and we depend on you and your spirit. So Lord, be with us. Be with us all in, these, in this moment, in these closing moments of our worship service in these uh, days and weeks ahead. Help us, God. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.